Let me, let me pray just before I start. Lord God, thank you for being with us this morning. Thank you for speaking to us. Uh, Lord, we pray you might speak to us now. Lord, I pray, Lord, there might be something in this message from your word this morning for each one of us. Amen. Well, what do you think is the greatest need in Lewis? Maybe what's, what's the greatest need in the world? Maybe you've been... Maybe you've got some of those images uh, from the TV, from the news in your mind at the moment of the, the typhoon in the Philippines. That terrible devastation, the suffering. And imagine you were part of a church in the Philippines. What would be your priorities at the moment? Would you want to just get out there? I'm sure you would. Just get out there and help people. What about evangelism? What about telling people how they can know God through Jesus. Would that just need to go on hold for a bit while you just get out and deal with the most obvious needs that are out there with people? What about our mission here in Lewis or in and the surrounding areas, King's Church? We might not feel much of a dilemma. We might not feel there's a great amount of need out there thinking, should we be doing evangelism? Should we be meeting needs in the community, surely we just, we just get on with pure evangelism. We're doing our Stronger Mission series. But I want to read you something which Jesus said near the beginning of his public ministry. He was about the age of 30, the Bible says. And he publicly read out this statement about why he'd come. It should be on the screen. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And as we continue a series on being stronger in mission, this is the fifth one we've had on Sunday mornings, the last thing we want to do is be out of touch with Jesus in the mission that we have as a church. And we're going to think this morning, we're going to think about what it is, what, what did Jesus mean, good news to the poor? What was the setting in which he said those words? What sort of difference should they make to the way we do mission? What we think is our priorities here as a church. Maybe you're here this morning, you're, you're not part of this church, you're just visiting or um, you're just checking out Christianity. Well, I hope this is just a useful insight into not just something that should be a priority for this church, but we believe a priority for any church, wherever they are, just adapted to your situation first thing we're going to look at, and we'll take a little bit of time to get to this as we go through what Jesus said and when he said it, it's the gospel is only for the spiritually poor. The gospel is only for the spiritually poor. And we'll see that in a moment. We're going to look at Luke's gospel, chapter 4, beginning at verse 14. If you've got a Bible, do um, have a look at it on your phone or Something like that. If you'd like a Bible, we've got some around at the back. Some will be happy to pass you one. If you stick your hand up, we've got a few Bibles if you wanted to look at one. We're going to look at the scenario in which Jesus stood up and read these words about good news to the poor. Jesus has gone public 
He started what was roughly three years of ministry. He began by being baptized. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit. He was confirmed as the Son of God when the voice of God the Father spoke from heaven. He was tempted in the wilderness, but he didn't give in. And then we read this, verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. This is his home region. He's back in his home area. News spread about him through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. Jesus was becoming a celebrity. He was famous. He was an amazing teacher. He was an amazing miracle worker. And in verse 16, he went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. So Jesus was Jewish, and this was like their Jewish church service. And they would do, we do various things when we meet together on a Sunday morning. They had various things that they always did as well. They would have a reading from the the Torah, the first five books of our Bibles, and then from the prophets, and then the sermon. Um, And imagine, you know, you're, you're there, here is, this, here is this famous preacher. He's the homeboy done good. And he's back in town. Well, let's get him up. Let's, let's get him to do one of the Bible readings. Let's get him to preach. Let's, let's listen to what he's got to say. This would be amazing. Sometimes I feel that pressure a little bit. I'm, I'm, by the way, I'm not a famous preacher. And, um, <laughs> but um, when I go home... And uh, my mum and dad's church, no pastor at the moment. I'm always a bit anxious when I'm um, going back at Christmas and we're there on a Sunday. Not being asked to speak just yet. But, um, you know, you want to get up the, um, the old boy who's come back. And here is Jesus, verse 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he's anointed me, God's chosen him, commissioned him to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendants and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He sat down because that's what you did. When you were preaching, you sat down to deliver your message. Do sometimes think, think that we should be a bit more biblical here at King's Church? Have a nice armchair or something at the front. But anyway, everyone's looking at him because they're thinking, what is he going to say? What is he going to say? And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That seemed to be pretty much it. So we've got a pretty short sermon. Maybe you'd like to be more biblical at King's Church in that kind of way as well. Have uh, very short sermons, but we're not going to have that this morning. (laughs) But it was an amazing message. It was an amazing message Because the bit that Jesus had read out from the prophets, from the the prophet Isaiah, you can read it in Isaiah chapter 61. Jesus had read it out 
And it was a message from God, written about 700 years before, about what God was going to do in the future. Someone's described as the servant of the Lord, a sort of mysterious figure who was going to come, who was going to put everything right, who was going to come just at the right time and help God's people, also known as the Messiah. And Jesus is saying, the time has now come. It's here. And for those who are willing to accept it, I'm here. It's me. I'm the one. I'm the servant of the Lord. All of these things that were promised are going to come. And the response from the people was pretty good. Verse 22, all spoke well of him. And they were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Yeah, maybe some of them were wondering, hmm, Joseph's son, is this really him? But anyway, they liked the words. And it was partly a positive response because they were thinking, great, this is what we've been waiting for. If anyone says maybe this is the time when God is going to do this, they'd be thinking, fantastic, we've been waiting for this. We're those people that's written to. We're the poor. The, these, these were the Jews. They were in their own land, but they were kind of prisoners, oppressed by the Romans, heavily taxed by the Romans. These, these bad people, they would have thought. These bad, immoral, idol worshippers who are running our land and telling us what to do. We're the poor people of God. We can't wait for God to send his servant and set us free and rescue us. So, so far, so good. But then something surprising happened in the synagogue in Nazareth that morning. Jesus said a bit more, and suddenly they wanted to kill him. Just explained a little bit more, and they took him outside and tried to kill him. Listen to this. Verse 23, Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. That's another, another prophet who wasn't accepted. When the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Wow, why did it get such a reaction? Well, Jesus knows that despite all the positive murmuring, they don't accept him as being from God. They don't accept um, that this message, what he's saying about this message of good news to the poor. I mean, in the first place, they were thinking, he's just sort of saying what they were thinking. Go on, prove who you are. Prove you've got any right to speak about what God 
is doing, never mind that you're bringing it in. Because as far as we're concerned, you're just Joseph's son. You grew up next door to us. You used to play in the street with my kids. I remember the time, remember that Saturday when you and your dad came around and fitted a new kitchen for us. We need more than just a good sermon. Come on, let's see some of this stuff that we've heard about. Some of this magic, some of these tricks, some of these miracles that apparently you did down the road. Well, let's see them then. Then we'll believe. But Jesus isn't about to do a few tricks. He says it's normal for a prophet to be rejected in his hometown. And then he gives these two examples of people who prophets went to in the Old Testament. And really what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, let's clear up who the poor are. Good news for the poor, who are the poor? Who is going to benefit from God's favor? Is it just anyone who thinks they're poor? Is it just anyone who says, I was born into the Jewish race and I live in the homelands? Jesus gives examples of times when someone very unexpected was blessed by God and the people, the main people of God, got left out. And he mentions two people who were examples of those who were spiritually poor and got the good news, got the blessing of God, even way before Jesus. And it's even better when Jesus comes. First of all, there's a widow. There's a starving widow. You can read about her in 1 Kings 17. It was at a time when there was a famine in the land of Israel. No food, because God's people had turned away from him, led by their king, King Ahab. They were rejecting God. So God sent his prophet Elijah away. And he actually sent, because of the shortage of food, he sent Elijah, his prophet, to this woman, this widow, who wasn't a Jew, to give him some food. And he got there, and he said, could you just give me some bread and water? And she says, I'm afraid there's a problem. I've got no bread. I'm down to my last measure of flour and oil, which they used to make bread. She said, what I was about to do was make one last meal for me and my son, and then we're going to die. We'll starve to death. This is it. We've got nothing left. And Elijah says, just make a loaf for me. And God promises that all your flour and your oil will never run out until the famine is over. That's a pretty big ask. She could have said, look, you're probably right, but I just can't take that chance. You haven't got any food. I haven't got any food. If we do what you've said, someone's going to die, and I don't want it to be me. But she believes. She believes the promise of God. Though she has nothing, she throws herself on God. She says, okay, I will believe God. I will totally depend on him. I will admit I've got nothing and I need him completely. And God doesn't let her down. This woman is very poor on the outside. But more importantly, in her heart, she's willing to admit she's spiritually poor. She's got nothing before God. She needs to totally trust in God. Meanwhile, the Israelites, very different attitude in their hearts and were far away from God. Well, the second example of the poor, which Jesus mentions, is this army commander, Naaman, from 2 Kings 5. A 
Again, he's not one of God's chosen people. He's not an Israelite. In fact, he's an enemy of Israel. It's probably one of the reasons why the people in Nazareth were so outraged. A couple of people who were not any not, any not part of us. But here's, you're even quoting an example of God blessing one of our enemies before us. He was the commander of the army of Syria. His wife's servant had been captured. It was a girl who'd been captured from Israel. This was the, this was the enemy. And he's not actually poor. He's not actually poor on the outside. He's a successful soldier. But he is in need. He's got leprosy. He's got this horrific skin disease. They didn't know any cure for it. At the time, people used to keep away. They used to take people away. So no one else would catch it. And if you read the story in 2 Kings 5, you'll find that initially he's a proud man. He's too proud to do what the prophet Elisha says that that needs to happen before God will heal him. But in the end, he changes his mind. He submits to God's servants. He's healed. He dips himself in the River Jordan and his skin is totally clean and restored and he comes to praise God in the end. And he says, now I know there's no God in all the world except in Israel. And he says, I'll never offer a sacrifice to any other God apart from him. And Jesus is saying again, here's another example of the kind of person I've come for. They might be rich on the outside, but they get to that point of saying on the inside, I'm poor. I've got no resources left. I've got nothing that's going to get credit with God. God doesn't owe me anything. God, I need you. And these people of Nazareth, they were outraged. Now, how dare you suggest that we're not going to be helped and blessed by God? We're children of Abraham. We're God's people. And how dare you suggest there's something wrong with our hearts that maybe even foreign people from another nation who we look down on, God's going to bless them first? Have they got a a heart that's better than ours? We're the poor that God wants to help. You don't know what you're talking about. And they didn't wait for the final prayer and the coffee time. They got up out of that service. They frog-marched Jesus out of the synagogue. They took him up on a cliff and they're about to throw him out. And supernaturally, he was able to, we don't know what happened, maybe they all froze. And Jesus just walked through. It wasn't time for Jesus to die. But they would get him in the end. It was part of God's plan. But people who hated Jesus would be the means by which he died for us. So Jesus was announcing that he'd come for the poor and the oppressed. But these people had got it wrong. It wasn't necessarily those who were poor on the outside, it could be, but it's always those who recognize they're poor on the inside that Jesus came for. So the gospel is only for the spiritually poor. Have you ever got to that point of admitting to God, God, I've got nothing to offer you. I admit that even the finest good deeds I've done They were accompanied by wrong thoughts, wrong motives. There's no good in me. Whatever I've got in the bank, whatever I've got parked on the drive, whatever I've got in my home, whatever I've got on my good deeds CV, whatever I've got on my Christian service and activity CV, you say, God, I'm poor. 
Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs, are, theirs is the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus was talking about. Have you ever said, or if you have, do you go on believing, I can only be saved from the punishment my sin deserves through a gift? And you've said to God, please give it to me as a gift through Jesus. It's the heart of being a real Christian. Just saying, I've got nothing. I'm poor on the inside. I need a gift to give me a new life, to give me forgiveness, to get me right with God. If you're a Christian here this morning, how does this help us? Well, how does what Jesus said help us with our mission well, it certainly means that however poor or rich someone is, they need Jesus. Maybe that's obvious, but it's worth saying. However sorted someone seems to be, however much peace they seem to have, however much we might think they're a better person than many Christians, the reality is unless they've come empty-handed to Jesus and said, I need you, I need your death in my place, I need your forgiveness. I've only got my need to contribute to this. Then they're not spiritually poor and they need to get to that point. They need to say, I'm bankrupt. I've got nothing. It means we've got a whole town out there, a whole county, a whole nation, a whole world. There's no one beyond this good news. There's hundreds of people that maybe we're in contact with, that we see, that we rub shoulders with. Many, many people who feel they've got no needs. Or maybe they're totally confused about what they really need. Maybe they aren't going to come up to us and say, you know what, I've come to see I really need a relationship with God. I've come to see that I need Jesus, that I'm poor on the inside. Well, maybe we will need, with God's help, to find the right time and the right way to put that to them. And actually say there is a need that you're not aware of, that you desperately have. For some of us who have been doing the Becoming a Contagious Christian course, it's so helpful, wasn't it, to be able to think about how can we share our story of what God has done in our life. And if you're doing that, if you get a chance, even if it's just in a minute or two minutes, so just to, just to drop in a little bit about what God's done for you, how you became a Christian, why you go to church. You could just drop that in, just to talk about the time when you realized that you needed God and you couldn't do things on your own. And we can pray, can't we? It's amazing, isn't it? Perhaps the most important thing, not the only thing, but the most important thing we can do in our mission is pray. Pray that God would change hearts. And these words of Jesus help us to know how to pray for people. We want to pray for people that they come to see that they are poor before God, that they've been blind to the danger that they're in, in eternity, that they are prisoners and oppressed. They've been held back from the life that God wants them to have. The gospel is for the spiritually poor. But does that mean that then we've totally spiritualized those words of Jesus? As it turns out, in fact... Jesus is not actually saying that it's particularly good news to people who are struggling with debts or they need to use a food bank or credit union. Is that what we're saying? Well, that wouldn't fit with uh, what the rest of the Bible says. And it wouldn't fit with the life of Jesus, would it? 
As we look at the life of Jesus, we see him, such compassion, such willingness to spend time with people who are poor, who are with all sorts of needs. And throughout the Bible, we read of, the, of God as being a God of justice, who cares for the poor. Psalm 113, verse 7. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. Many times in the Bible, God's people are instructed to help the poor and criticize when they don't. Many times. Proverbs 14, verse 31 says, Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. But whoever is kind to the needy honors God. God is a God of justice. He's concerned about it. We should be concerned about it too. And in a sense, it's a good thing, full stop, to help the poor. I think that's one of the messages we read in the Bible. You know, we can just say that, and that's true. It is a great thing. It's a great thing to send money to the Philippines. It's a great thing to help with any need that you come across, just an individual um, or something that's more widely known. But the Bible also makes a surprising link between the poor and faith. There's a verse from James, I think, uh, coming up on the screen. It's quite surprising, really, when you read this. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? That's saying that if you're poor, you're, you're automatically a Christian. If you're poor, you're automatically saved by God. He's just got a special arrangement for the poor. Well, no, that's not what the Bible's saying. Is it also saying if you're rich, you're automatically rejected by God? No. It um, was partly quoted earlier on in our worship time. Words of Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone who will be spiritually poor and admit that they've got nothing to give God. But what we can say is also the gospel is especially for the actually poor. Difficult to word that one. I know actually and literally are both overused. <laughs> but um, I didn't want to put either of them in there. But I think you get the idea. The gospel is especially for the actually poor. And the pattern we see throughout the Bible is people without power, people in the minority, people in need, putting their faith in God Whereas on the other hand, you've got rich people, powerful people, people in the majority often standing by and being sceptical towards Jesus, rejecting God, having no time for him. It's not always the case, but it's something that you see frequently when you look through the Bible. Paul wrote to the Christians in uh, Corinth, in one of the early churches, And this is what he said to them. He said, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Most people in that church, they weren't well educated. They weren't in a powerful position in society. They didn't have a fantastic job. 
they wouldn't have been rich. They're from humble backgrounds. And yet it actually helps when it comes to responding to the good news of Jesus. That widow we heard about, widow of Zarephath, who Jesus mentioned, she didn't have any trouble recognizing that she needed help. She was in dire straits. She was down to our last measure of flour and oil. When it was gone, she expected her and her son would starve. She knew she'd come to the end of her own resources, even outwardly. So it was a kind of shorter step for her to say, when the prophet came, come on, trust God. She said, okay, I'll do it. That army commander, Naaman, yeah, he was from a privileged background, but he was seriously ill. He had a big need. He was seriously ill, an incurable disease. There was no hope. And he took a bit of persuading he was a proud man. But in the end, he opened himself up to God. He took a step of faith. He said, I, I've, I've got nothing else, nothing else to try. And that's why the Bible often makes a connection between those who are poor and in need and oppressed and those who welcome God into their lives. On the other hand, remember this that Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's not impossible, but it's hard. It's hard because to respond to the good news of Jesus, you've got to recognize that you're poor before God. You've got to humble yourself. And that doesn't come easily if actually the way you've built your life is to say, I don't need anyone else. I've worked hard. Other people who aren't doing as well as me, it's because they haven't worked hard. I've worked hard. I'm a self-made person. They've got a long way to come down to humble themselves. To become a Christian, you've got to be someone who can admit you've got things wrong. Someone, someone who never has said sorry to anyone for anything. It's a hard thing. It's a harder thing. You've got to humble yourself to come to Jesus. I've got a friend who's a prison chaplain. He told me once that prison is full of innocent people. Well, people who think they're innocent, and not saying, I mean, some of them maybe are. But on the other hand, there are significant numbers of prisoners who respond to the gospel as good news. They receive the forgiveness of Jesus because they don't, some of them, they don't have any trouble recognizing they've done wrong. They're in prison. They're having to face up to what they've done. They've got time to think about it. They accept the leadership, the lordship of Jesus because they know actually their life has gone wrong. They're looking around and they're saying, my life has gone wrong. Decisions I've made have not worked out. I'll try Jesus in charge instead. And the gospel is especially for the actually poor. I think that's something that Jesus is saying. I think that's something that comes across clearly in the Bible. And the, the gospel is often especially good news to someone with needs. Maybe that's your experience here this morning. Or maybe you're someone who's not a Christian and you're aware you've got great needs. Well, Jesus has got good news for you. Maybe it's easy to relate to Jesus. Maybe it's easy to relate to Jesus if you've been born into a poor family like Jesus was. Maybe if you've never owned your own home or you've always been on the move. 
like Jesus was. Maybe you've been misunderstood by your family. Maybe you've been rejected by your own people. Maybe you've been betrayed by a friend. Maybe you've been left on your own. Maybe you've been beaten up. Jesus went through all of these things willingly for us as part of that good news to bring us peace and forgiveness when he died for us on the cross. He experienced rejection even from God, his father, when he was on the cross. He was taking the sin of the world on him. The father looked away. Darkness came down as a sign of God's judgment on Jesus because he was bearing the sin. He was taking a punishment for all the things we've done wrong that separates us from God. Jesus knew what it was like to suffer and have a tough life. But he also rose again. He offers a new life. He offers a fresh start. That's very attractive to many people. A clean slate to anyone who will say yes to him as their king. So it is good news. It's good news for everyone. Of course it's good news for everyone. It's good news for everyone who will come to that point of saying, I'm spiritually poor. I need God. I need Jesus. I've got nothing to offer that's going to get me right with him. But it's especially good news for the actually poor. What do we do about this? What do we do about this as as a church? There are people in need out there who desperately need to hear this. We've actually got some good news. We might think, well, no one wants to listen. No one's interested. And sometimes we do face, when we speak to people who've had big problems, great needs, sometimes we'll be misunderstood initially. But there's a great message. I think there's an encouragement here to say, actually, there is good news for the poor, genuinely good news for the poor. If only we will take it to them. It's not always easy. It involves... Maybe, um, I suppose, getting in touch with people who you don't normally spend time with. People, perhaps widening your group of friendship. uh, Talking to people at the school gates who you don't normally talk to. Maybe getting involved in some kind of act of service in the town, in the community. And unless you do that, you won't meet people in need. You won't have that opportunity to share the good news. Even just perhaps starting, we're talking about what God's done for you. I guess it's tempting to think that what, when we want to help people in need, help the poor, what we need is we need, we need flashy things with advertising uh, happen in this building, King's Church logo on it. And actually, maybe what we want is we want to look good as a church. We want to look good to people around the town, to other churches. Well, maybe the way forward is actually just individually and as little groups of us get together and say, we're going to get involved in that. We've heard about this. We were going to get involved in helping with a food bank or with something that you need to find out about and we need to find out about as a church. Something I'm trying to make a bit of an effort to. This is part of my job, as many of you know. Just trying to find out what are the needs? What are people currently doing in the town? What could we get involved in as King's Church? We're all... If you're part of this church, you're King's Church. King's Church can be involved as individuals from King's Church. Go and show the love of God in these situations. Maybe there will be an opportunity through serving to bring that good news of Jesus. It's a good thing to serve on its own, and it may open that door to proclaim the good news to the poor. 
something uh, I was at last Sunday, it was at a remembrance service. I was talking to the mayor of, um, of Lewis, Ruth O'Keefe. I thought I'd like to get an opportunity to talk to her. I said to her, what are some of the needs in the town at the moment? She talked about need for storage from one of the food banks, or that might be a need that's coming up. She talked about the need for a service that hires a minibus, pays for a minibus, hires a minibus, picks up old, old people who um, don't get out much and are able to take them to a garden centre, I think it was. Talked about the need for childcare. There's many needs out there in our town. And I guess as we connect more and more with them, I believe we'll find that we get opportunities to share the good news of Jesus. There are people waiting out there, waiting to hear about God's love, waiting to receive it as good news. People who are very close, they're thinking, I've tried everything. Nothing's working. It's difficult. My life is hard. And we can come with the wonderful good news that Jesus offers. It's great to hear what Katie was saying earlier about her friends. Just saying something like, if I, if I could go through anything, I'd go through anything if I knew someone would always love me. And that, just like Katie said, that's exactly what we've got to offer. There's good news for the poor. Well, let me pray. I wonder if we could get the, the bands to come. I uh, thought it'd be good if we could sing as we finish that, that song, How Good It Is. It'd be great to sing that song. I know it's a song that's saying, yes, it's great to know God. It's so good for me to know God. But we can sing that song. And I was thinking, of it as we were singing it earlier, it's a message, isn't it? We can imagine proclaiming that message to others. We can say, it's good to know God. And so I want to share that good news with people, and especially people in need. Let me just pray, and then we'll stand and sing.